0: Why are we talking about this? Before we do that, though, let's uh, just summarize where we are in the week. Christ on Sunday entered into the temple, entered into Jerusalem as the king, as the Passover lamb, as the Messiah, as the one who will save all these people who are saying and crying out, Save us, O son of David, O son of, son of, son of David. So, Sunday night, or what we call Monday Eve, Christ comes in and he cleanses the temple, and you start seeing the wailing of Christ. He starts saying, O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem how much I wanted to gather your children, but you were not willing. And uh, eventually, what happens is, he would, during this week, he would enter into Jerusalem every single day in the morning. He would walk towards Jerusalem from Bethany. Bethany is on a higher place. It's on a little hill, if you go visit there. And then he would go to the temple, preach, and then he would finally get back and stay in Bethany. And tomorrow morning, uh, we will see him Uh, In Bethany, it's going to be very clear But these two days, Monday and Tuesday When he goes to the temple, he's preaching finally about the second coming He's preaching about his death and his resurrection And he's talking about how love took flesh And then eventually, in the second coming, love convicts What does that mean? Today, a lot of the readings are about the second coming A lot of the readings are about how we all have talents How God gives each and every one. And we're going to only be asked to trade with these talents. If I was giving two, I would be asked for two, not ten. That's all I have to do. And that for God is equal as somebody else who has ten talents and he traded and got ten. With that said, a lot of these parables are talking about the bridegroom. In the first hour of the night prayer, we see that the the bridegroom is... At the door, and there's five wise versions, five foolish versions. Some have oil, some don't. In the morning, we read about the talents. Later on, we read about people not having their wedding garments. Some others were busy. They couldn't attend the wedding. They couldn't attend the feast. They couldn't attend the final engagement between them and Christ. And um, after now, we understood the holistic picture of Christ. Explaining the second coming Let's say that this is the last day Christ enters the temple Tuesday, Christ finally says This is it Wednesday he stays in Bethany And we're going to see tomorrow how he gets anointed in Bethany And the woman who is greatly praised by Christ um, Christ rests in Bethany that day And then the Passover is also at Bethany in St. Mark's house And he never he never enters Jerusalem Again, A lot of these prophecies that we hear today And the last couple of days Are quoting scripture And they're saying And I quote The wrath of God shall come And the judgment of God shall come And here's something I really, I really want us all to understand Because there's this western idea That there is a scale, There is wrath And then there's love And God tries to balance both Here's the problem with this. The problem with this is that this creates conflict, right? There's kind of some balance. You have to, okay, and this tipped a little too much here, so we start doing things a little bit this way. This is actually how we operate. As St. Felixinus of Mabug, who is a Syriac father, states, Christ has singleness of will. Meaning, of course he wills fully humanly, fully divinely as Christ. But what we're saying is he has Absolutely harmony, absolute harmony in every decision he makes There is no moment where he is wrathful And in a moment he's love Every decision and every act he does is love And every decision and every act he does is justice as well How does that work? If I am abusing my brother If I am abusing my brother And my father loves us both Out of his love He will stop me eventually from hurting my brother. In a way, he did judge me. In a way, he had judgment in this situation. In a way, he stopped this evil from occurring. He finally said, time is up. Yes, I understand you guys are grown. Yes, I understand you could have stopped yourselves. Apparently something went off, and you did not want to, or you were not capable of doing that. Therefore, I must intervene and stop you. If God, quote-unquote, judges me and stops me from that, or the wrath of God comes on me, and let's say I'm a little child, and I see my father yelling at me, don't touch the stove, or my mother yelling at me, don't touch the stove. As a child, I could be very angry, or very scared. And I could interpret that yelling, or that wrath, or that judgment As my parent is very mad at me. And I can, as we know, Scripture is written. Scripture is the word of God and the words of man. Right? So God does not cancel out the prophets. Humanity in the Old Testament was as children, as the fathers call it. We were not mature. We didn't understand. We were like the little children who are trying to touch the stove. Right? Eat of a tree of life. Partake of knowledge. That's a good goal. And on its own, if you want to partake of the knowledge of God, it's a good goal. But we were trying to approach it the wrong way. Instead of partaking of the fire by, you know, consuming good food or the fireplace, we were trying to touch the stove. So God had to step up, you're out of the kitchen. You, need, you can't come in near the fire. And he was very aggressive about that. You will be out of paradise. You cannot come in. Because you will hurt forever if you do that. As children, we took that, of course, as... The wrath of God, the judgment of God. Is that true and accurate? Of course. Scripture is absolutely true and it states that. But we need to think of judgment and wrath in its fulfilled sense. What does that mean? Not us projecting our human emotion that is anger and wrath on God. No. Think of your best version of yourself, ties Infinity, and that's nothing compared to the justice and the mercy of God. He's beyond our human limitation of What we call justice or anger. It's like a parent again. When the parent yells, don't touch the stove, or you are on a break, or go to your room, the child may understand it as, hey, my parent is really angry at me. But at heart, the parent is not just angry, the parent is scared for his child. This is actually an act of love. And here's the thing we need to understand. Justice is a part of love. Remember how I was saying there's a balance. You need to, we need to understand that mer, the, the judgment of God or the wrath of God is actually a part of love. It's one action. Again, a parent is going to rebuke his child and tell him, don't touch this. In that same act, there is force and there is judgment on a situation. I need to save my child or this this has it, it's, it is enough. It is finished. We need to stop this before you get too hurt, too, you know. You're, you're again, you can't approach something that is like fire without proper precautions. So with that said, we need to also understand another concept. Another concept is that the cross is in the middle of our timeline, and it's not just a regular timeline. When you think of a timeline in your head, you're thinking of a two-dimensional you know, horizontal line where there is Old Testament and then New Testament and the cross in the middle. Let's think three-dimensional here. The cross is actually on a hill. It's actually a mountain, and it's actually glorified. And every part of history is centered around the cross. The cross saves the people before and after. It is the same love of God before and the same love of God after the same God who never changes acting with the Israelites who were children and the same God who loves acting with God, acting with his people after the cross as well right it's a holistic action of love it's as we heard in the sermon yesterday the economy of salvation or the will of God to save that's why Christ came and took flesh that's the first coming it is love The second coming is also love. Love convicts. What does that mean? And this is what I want us to get out from today. Love convicts. In the second coming, God, when He speaks to us later this week, is going to say, I did not come to judge the world, I came to save the world. But you know, when the second coming comes, I still won't say anything. The words I already said are going to convict you. They're going to judge. Why is that? When we look here, what do we see in this specific icon? Or what do you see on the veil? You see Christ tied up. And you see Christ in a purple robe. And I want us all to see that this is the bridegroom. The boundless one was bound. This is his ring. He didn't just go on one knee. He went on both knees. He fell to the ground. He did everything in his power out of love... To order to bring us in. That is the first coming. Love took flesh. Our part now is to either accept or reject this love. And when we say singleness of will, just like God has absolute harmony in His will and He always chooses to love us, we have this exact same choice every hour of every day. When we accept this love, of course in the second coming, love is going to convict us. All of a sudden, love is going to take over. We are going to be the bride to the bridegroom. We're going to be together because there is harmony. He loves us, we love him, and all is great. But let's say I rejected that love. That's when, again, we said it's one act of salvation. Love convicts meaning what? I'll read St. Isaac the Syrian, who is talking about God's wrath, and he's explaining this. Because you shouldn't trust anybody speaking if they're not listing their sources. So, here's what St. Isaac says. God chastises with love, not for the sake of revenge, far be from it, but seeking to make whole his image, us. And he does not labor wrath until a time when correction is no longer possible, for he does not seek revenge for himself. This is the aim of love. Love's chastisement is for the correction, but it does not aim at retribution. The man who chooses to consider God as an, aven- as an avenger, if we see God as an avenger, presuming that in this manner he bears witness to his justice, the same accuses him, God, as being bereft of goodness. For be it that vengeance could never be found in that fountain of love, an ocean of, that is brimming with goodness. No vengeance can be found in an ocean of love. So what is hell? What is judgment? What is that second coming? It is all of a sudden the feeling, and this is also mentioned in Isaac Syrian also Gregory Theologian mentions it, but I will spare you for now. The eternal condemnation is the conviction of love, meaning we will realize what we missed out on if we don't love him back. All of a sudden, just like God here on earth says... I will never force you into my presence. I will never marry you by force. I love you. And love by nature is a choice. I loved you freely. I didn't have to. I loved you freely. I will give you everything. I will give you my life. If you're willing to accept it, that is great. We can be harmonious forever. We can be like the 5 folded virgin who had love in their lambs, And they enter with the bridegroom into the wedding. But let's say I reject. God will never force us. Remember this. Let's all remember this. God will never never force us into his presence here on earth or up there. We always have free will. So if we eternally reject him, out of his love he will say what? I love you, my son, but I can't force you into my presence. That will be slavery. And I can't do that. So... With that said, love in the second coming is conviction. Love convicts. Either I accepted it or rejected it. Love in the first coming is love took flesh. Let us let's be ready for our bridegroom, whose love. I want to read us uh, just something from uh, Saint Macarius the Great, who talks about this bridegroom, and he ta- and he says, take for example the five prudent and vigilant. Uh, Versions, they enthusiastically had taken in the vessel of their heart the oil of the supernatural grace of the spirit And thing not comfortable to their created nature For this very reason they were able to enter together with the bridegroom into the heavenly bridal chamber The other foolish ones, however content with their own nature Did not watch, nor did they betake themselves to receive the oil of gladness in their vessels, but still in the flesh, they fell into a deep sleep through negligence, inattentiveness, laziness, and ignorance, or even through considering themselves justified. But because, this, because of this, they were excluded from the bridal chamber of the kingdom because they were not able to please the heavenly bridegroom. Tied by ties of this world and by earthly love, they did not offer all their love and devotion to their heavenly spouse, nor did they carry with them the oil. Is exactly what we were saying here. They didn't have the love. They didn't have love in their lambs with their vessels. Again, when we look here for the rest of this Holy Week, let's please see the Bridegroom who came and offered everything for us. He is love who took flesh, and love will eventually convict or judge. Let us be flesh in loved like He is, Love infleshed and glory be to God forever. everyone.